This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Before we get into that great passage that brings that out in Titus 3, along with these wonderful songs that Rusty has led us in, I have a question or two for you. And here's a picture of what that question is. I think. There it is. I did not draw that. Actually, I do not draw that well. <clears throat> Which came first, the chicken or the egg? That's the eternal question, right? That's what a lot of people wonder. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Anybody care to venture a guess out loud? I hear a lot of chickens. I hear a few lonely eggs. Um, I was very young when they were created, so I don't remember firsthand. But um, uh, if you're on Apologetics Press, uh, which is apologeticspress.org, their website, then you find wonderful information about all kinds of questions. And there's even an article, too, that addressed this particular uh, question of which came first, the chicken or the egg. The real question is, which came first, the adult or uh, the very infant, in the chicken's case, an egg? And so one of their articles has this to say, according to Dr. Colin Freeman of the University of Sheffield, United Kingdom, it had long been sus suspected that the egg came first, but now we have the scientific proof that shows that, in fact, the chicken came first. They discovered, and this article is from 2010, they discovered that the formation of eggs is possible only thanks to a protein found in chicken ovaries. The protein is vital in kick-starting the crystallization process of the egg. Thus, eggs have to be formed in chickens. When you think about it, that seems to make logical proof. The article goes on and raises this issue. The one question uh, the author writes that the chicken-egg conundrum begs is this. If the chicken did come first, what? Where did it come from? Where did that supposed evolutionary ancestor come from, if that's where the chicken came from? And if you want to say the egg came first, okay. Same question. Where did the egg come from? You see, that's the difficulty when you leave God out of the equation. Somewhere, sometime, somehow, we went from nothing to something. And that's impossible according to science. The only explanation really is an eternal, all-powerful God who always existed. And at some given point began to create the heaven and the earth. I believe that the Genesis account does say it was the chicken. According to the Genesis account of creation, it was the chicken. When God created man, for example, he created humanity in an adult person. And as you know from the Genesis story, he created an adult woman. And I believe that from there, all of humanity 
spread. So according to the Genesis account of creation, it was the chicken. Okay, but what about the cow? I have a picture of this one as well. So what about the cow? Now, I realize that it's dangerous for a preacher to say anything about food during a sermon on Sunday morning, and it's especially dangerous for a a preacher to refer to a restaurant uh, that is not even open on Sunday. So sorry about that. But I had to work in this picture somehow or another, and I thought this was a good place. If you're talking about the chicken and the egg, it was the chicken. If you're talking about the cow and the calf, it was the cow. If you're talking about a human and an infant... It was the human. Well, let's look at a related question, but of far more significance, I believe, and that's this one. Which came first, labor or grace? With it being Labor Day weekend, I thought this would be a good transition into this text from Titus chapter 3. Which came first, labor or grace? And it's a difficult question. It's actually a cause for a whole lot of discussion in the New Testament. And right when we want to say, oh, well, it was grace. Of course, Bill, it's always grace. And I would agree with that. However, I realize that that begs another question. Okay, so then you're saying we don't have to do anything? There's no labor involved? That's the rub, isn't it? And that's what much of the New Testament addresses. This idea of everything that we've talked about and sung about this morning already. And the wonderful shepherd's prayer that Galen led us in and our incredible communion thoughts that Matt led us in. And these songs that Rusty has led us in, beautiful, wonderful songs, all affirm its grace. It's grace. So then we have to ask the question, okay, well, what about the stuff you're supposed to do then? Is there nothing on that list? And that is a trick question because it depends on what you're talking about. If you're asking the question, how should I live? There's one response. If you're asking the question, what must I do to be saved? That's a different response. But they're both based in grace. And so let's read this passage in Titus chapter 3, beginning at verse 3. Very similar to Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, a similar passage in in, uh, Colossians 2 that's on your handouts. Titus 3, verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But, verse 4, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Verse 5, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, verse 7, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Now verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. 
These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So which is it, Paul? (laughs) Is it God acting and we're saved by his grace? Or is it because we devote ourselves to doing what is good? Which is it? I think that's the question that this passage asks and answers. And others like it as well. So let's look at a few things about the answer to this question. Which came first, labor or grace? Number one, on our own, we were selfish and sinful. On our own, we were selfish and sinful. And that's the very first verse that we read, Titus 3, verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. In the words of Ephesians 2, we were dead in our sins. And I realize that looks different for different ones of us. You've probably shared your story before. And, and I hope that you've shared it with your family members, with your kids, grandkids, siblings, parents, whatever. And I hope you've shared it with others as well. And it's really easy to do. It comes in three parts. My life before Christ. How I became a Christian. And my life since. That's your story. And you can tell that to anyone. We've talked about that elevator talk where in just a few minutes you can give a version of how you became a Christian and what Jesus means to you so that perhaps this person that you're talking to might ask some more questions perhaps. But it starts with this, my life before Christ. And again, that looks different for different people. For some, they have this incredible dramatic story of of how when, when they found Jesus, when Jesus found them, they were at the bottom. They were in a, a gutter. Their life was destroyed. In fact, their life was nearly over. They nearly lost it and would have if they continued on that track. And then Jesus and his amazing grace came and saved them. Not just their soul, but their life. For most of us, I gather, that's probably not our story. I imagine that for a, a good portion of us, We can say with Paul that at one time we were sinful and selfish. We lived that way. And that was our life before Christ. We were caught up in our sins. We were caught up in doing things our own way. We were not really concerned about what God wanted of us. We were more concerned with what we wanted of us. And that is our life before Christ. That's what it looks like for all of us. Not exactly the same details But it looks that way for all of us. Foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. We were all about ourselves. On our own, we were selfish and sinful. But that great word that says verse 3 is not the end of the story. There's more. And the more part is this. Number two, God acted in kindness, mercy, and love. And that's verses four through seven. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. 
you want a direct answer to the question, which came first, grace or labor, there it is. We were dead in our sins. We were uh, dead in our passions, in our selfishness, in our sinful desires, all of those things. And God acted in kindness and mercy and love. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, just in case it's not clear yet, (laughs) but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. We'll come back to that. Verse 6, this Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Again, this is what we've sung about today. This is what we have uh, reminded ourselves of as we gathered around the table in Matt's wonderful communion meditation. This is what our shepherd prayed and led us in prayer, that we are saved by the blood sacrifice of Jesus. Without that blood sacrifice, there would be no hope. There would be no response. There would be only verse 3. And that would be the end. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6 tells us. Without the blood sacrifice of Jesus, we could not be saved. But as Galen said, that blood sacrifice is enough. That is enough. There's nothing we add to it. There's nothing that we do to make it more possible. It is that blood that cleanses and saves us. It is an act of God's grace, an act of God's mercy. When we were selfish and sinful, God acted in mercy, and in love. That's that amazing grace that we have sung about today, not because of righteous things we had done. So as you think back over your life and you see all the areas where you have failed Him, where you have failed His church, where you have been disobedient to His Word, you look back on that, and because of His grace and His mercy, that doesn't cost you your salvation. Why? Because grace came first. God acted in kindness, mercy, and love. And yes, it is enough. It is enough. It's that great sacrifice that we remembered in that bread, that broken body. That great blood that was shed for us that we remember when we drink of that grape juice. God acted in kindness and mercy and love. He saved us, it says over and over again in this passage, so that having been justified by His grace, verse 7, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. We have that based on His sacrifice, His grace, not based on our good lives. Not based on the things that we have done. Not based on our labor. And it has to be that way, doesn't it? Because that is imperfect. The very best of us can't say, I've never failed him. The very best of us can't say, I have always done what he wanted me to do. None of us can say that. So obviously that can't save us. 
So what does? Well, His grace does. And that's why Paul is so emphatic. He saved us. On our own, we were selfish and sinful. God acted in kindness, mercy, and love. And so, number three, we responded in faith and were saved. And that's Titus 3, verse 5. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Now, we have a little bit more trouble with that in 21st century America, but I can tell you, I bet they didn't have any trouble at all understanding what Paul was talking about when Titus shared those words with the church of his day there on Crete. When he talked about through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, they knew exactly what he was talking about. He was talking about their baptism. He was talking about the response of faith. Baptism was something that was common before Jesus and John the Baptist even came on the scene. And so when Jesus talks to the Jewish leader Nicodemus at night in John 3, and he tells him, Nicodemus... You must be born again of water and the Spirit in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. I think Nicodemus knew exactly what he was talking about. He was talking about being baptized. He was talking about doing what John the Baptist and now Jesus and his disciples had been telling people to do. And what those starting in Acts chapter 2 in the church would begin telling people to do. To repent and be baptized. But Nicodemus, it was preposterous to him to think that that's what he should do. That's what he must do. And so he rejected it. And he said, what, go a second time into my mother's womb? Because that's how ridiculous it was for him to think I should be baptized. But Jesus affirms that, yes, Nicodemus, even you must be born again of water and the Spirit. And now when Paul tells this to Titus... I think he's remembering exactly that incident. Yes, our salvation comes strictly by grace. Yes, it is because of the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Yes, there is nothing we can do to earn or deserve it or even to make it possible. It is only made possible through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Without that, we are continuing in verse 3. But since God acted, now... Now He saves us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2 puts it this way, It is by grace you have been saved through faith. Through that response of faith. But then Paul is quick to add in Ephesians 2, And that's not even of yourself. That's a gift from God. We can't take any pride in anything that we do to bring about our salvation because there is nothing that we do to bring about that salvation. All we can do is respond in faith. And when we do, we receive that washing of rebirth and regeneration and renewal through the Holy Spirit. And so when the book of Acts comes along and several times an individual who is caught up with their own selfish and sinful ways and it's brought to light where that will end... They asked that question, what shall we do? And if Jesus had not died on the cross, the answer would have been, I'm sorry, there's not a single thing you can do. But because of that sacrifice, because grace came 
first. Now we can respond and allow that grace to be active and have a role in our lives. And so in Acts 2, the answer is repent and be baptized every single one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you too will receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. For Saul of Tarsus in Acts 9, after praying and fasting for three days, having seen the resurrected Lord and been blinded because of it, still he is told by Ananias in Paul's own words in Acts 22, verse 16, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling upon his name. In Acts chapter 8, those in Samaria were told the same thing. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius and his family, even though they were non-Jews, they were told the same thing. To respond in faith, be baptized. And they were. In Acts chapter 16, we began a study in our classes this morning, in our adult classes, about the book of Philippians and following God. And Lydia was told, the Philippian jailer were told the same things there in that ancient city. Be baptized. And they were. And they were. You see, one of two things is true. Either universalism is true, and there's no response of faith. The blood of Jesus saves everybody, and that's the end of the story. Or, or, there's something that we do in response to that great sacrifice and gift in order to accept that wonderful, amazing grace. And that means we believe and trust in that one who gave himself. And we turn away from our lives and change the direction of our lives. That's repentance. And we confess that so that others will know. And then we're baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. So that that blood can wash away our sins. And so now we look at verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying. So the fourth part of this is we devote ourselves to doing what is good. Because we were sinners and are and were selfish and sinful and because God acted in kindness and mercy and love and now because we have responded in faith and were saved, now we devote ourselves to doing what is good. Verse 8 of Titus 3, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. We devote ourselves to doing what is good. And you say, but Bill, I thought you just said there's nothing we can do, and there isn't. There's nothing we can do to earn or deserve our salvation. But there is something that we can do once we've received that salvation by grace through the response of faith. There is something we can do. There's something we must do to show our gratitude and our love and our appreciation for the one who gave us this gift that we did not earn. And that is to devote ourselves to doing what is good. Matt mentioned Romans chapter 12 and the beauty of the body of Christ and how Christ puts all of us in exactly where he wants us for the sake of his work, his kingdom, his church. And that great passage begins with these words. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? That means you live for Jesus. You do what is good and you're devoted to doing what is good. 
In Ephesians 2 verse 10, we are created in Christ Jesus to do exactly that. To do good things. And in your bulletin today, you'll see some marvelous pictures of a bunch of our Young at Heart members. (laughs) And they are definitely Young at Heart. (laughs) And they love to get together and they love to eat. There, I said it. (laughs) And they do that well. And sometimes they get to do that with others around the city. And that's what happened. And that's the pictures you see in the bulletin. And that you'll see some more of next Sunday in our ministry highlight. You look at our We Connected group, our young adults, and you see them fabulously connected to each other like the church should be. Seeking to minister to this church and to this community in all kinds of ways. You look at our youth and you see them being active and serving, growing in the grace and knowledge and ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You look at all of our members and you see so many opportunities around us to do something. Those who work in our benevolence ministry, preparing food or or clothing or working at Caring Kitchen. Those who provide food or meal for our shut-ins every Tuesday and at other times as well. We're glad to be able to say that in a couple of weeks there will be some men who will be volunteering to serve communion again. What a great blessing. The one another aspect of the church continues to be returned. You see those blue cards in the back of the pew in front of you as we're prone to say? Those are encouragement cards. It's okay with me if you lose track of what Bill is saying in the next couple of minutes and write one of those. You can write one of those. You can write one of those to my brother and this very fine young man sitting over here very faithfully as a man of God and a father having lost almost everything. You can do that to those that Galen prayed about. You can write an encouragement card to elders, to to leaders, to ministry leaders, to those who have new babies. I would I would encourage you if you if you do send an encouragement card to Cameron and Kristen that you don't just write on it finally. <laughs> okay? I don't think that's probably the thing to say. Sorry, sorry Kristen. But you can give them a, a call of joy and encouragement over this great great blessing that they have received. There are so many ways that we devote ourselves to doing what is good. Teaching in our children's program, teaching in our Bible classes of all ages, encouraging those who do. We devote ourselves to doing what is good. And so a few things before we close. Grace always comes first. Grace always comes first. Always. And so what about that? Well, first of all, grace points us to Jesus, the Savior. It doesn't point us to ourselves. It points us to Jesus. Why? Because grace always comes first. And so when I think about my salvation, I don't look at my life. I look at His and His death and burial and resurrection. Grace allows us and calls us to do that, points us to Jesus, the Savior. Secondly, grace liberates us from the guilt of sin. Again, the passage doesn't stop in verse 3. It doesn't stop with my sinfulness, with my selfishness. Jesus acted. God acted. His amazing grace is seen. And so grace liberates us from the guilt 
of sin. Thirdly, just as we've sung today, grace gives us assurance of salvation. Why? Because under grace, it's not my responsibility to save myself. That is something that God has done in Jesus Christ. And so I can sing that song loudly, just as you surely did a few moments ago. Blessed assurance. What's the next statement? Jesus is mine, and I am his. And finally, grace calls us to labor in love. It calls us to labor in love. This is where that fits. If it fits any earlier, then everything's messed up because then our salvation is dependent upon that. And our salvation, good good news of the gospel is our salvation is not based on verse 8. It's based on verses 4 through 7. But we gladly, joyfully, humbly, gratefully labor in love because of grace. And so this gospel is grace for sinners. That's what this gospel is. It is grace for sinners like you and like me. And I have two questions for you as we close. Have you experienced God's grace? Have you repented of your sins? Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you confessed that to others? Have you been washed with the rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit in baptism? If you haven't ever done that, then this amazing grace is still outside, still something you're looking at. And I hope and I pray that you will decide today or soon, yes, I want that in my life too. I want to experience God's amazing grace grace. And we would love to talk to you more about that. And then secondly, have you devoted yourself to doing what is good? Yes, you've been saved by that blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ, by his amazing grace. Now, how has it affected your life? Are you devoting yourself to doing what is good? We can ask that, those questions in a different way as we sing this song. Are you standing on the promises of God? If we can help you do that today, come as we stand and sing this great hymn today.